Peter this morning, uh, having just finished uh, 1 Peter last week. I don't think we told you we're going to 2 Peter, and our apologies for that. You weren't able to read ahead. It's a relatively short book, three chapters in all, and um, we're going to cover the first 15 verses today. So I'm going to go ahead and read that portion first, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great, and be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that your desire is for us to know you, us, every little thing, every little instance, God. <laughs> All the moms in this room, their knowledge of their children, the, the, the little things that all others would forget, the mementos saved, the boxes of art projects held, all of that amassed doesn't compare to your knowledge. And it's not to, it's not to say that that's bad. It's not to say there's something wrong with mothers, but compared to you, any of us, God. We've got nothing. And there's no one that loves us like you do. And so you're opening your heart up to us in your word. And we want to stop and listen. We want to hear. We want to open our hearts. We want to say, Lord, give us what you have for us and help us not forget it. God is... I pray often, please make me a workman approved. 
that correctly handles your word of truth. Don't let me get in the way of what you have for your people is immense, God. And we thank you for pouring it out to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I want to jump ahead just for a moment to chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, as it gives us a little bit more of the why of Peter's writing. So just flip one page ahead, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Uh, In the NIV, it says, stimulate you to wholesome thinking, right? That uh, I would stir up your pure mind, stimulate you to wholesome thinking. The word is ilacranes, and it means pure, unadulterated, unalloyed. It's not one metal mixed with another. It's one pure substance. That type of thinking is what the words of the prophets and the apostles are to stir us up into. I'm sure Rick will cover this more in depth next week because past uh, verse 15, it certainly dives into this. I'll say this at least about it now. You cannot toss out the Old Testament and God's relationship with and promises to Israel and hope to have unmixed, unadulterated thinking about God. You cannot be stirred up into wholesome, pure thinking about God if you are not giving attention to what he has done in the entirety of his word. You will miss it. You will miss greatly. And what he wants for you is thinking that's not mixed up. It's easy enough for our thinking to get mixed up. And Peter says, I want to stir you up to wholesome thinking, to pure thinking, to unmixed thinking. This is why I'm writing this. This is what I want for you. Peter says, I wrote both of these letters to move your minds. We all going to blow your minds, right? Peter's like, I just want to move them. I want to move them to wholesome thinking. I want to move them to unmixed thinking. <clears throat> and then, because uh, I, I feel like this fits, let's go to the last three verses of the section we're covering today for a little more insight here. So go down to verse 12 of chapter one. reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He says, I want to remind those who have, what it says in verse 1, obtained precious like faith, or like precious faith. Like precious faith. I want you to remember those words. We're going to say them over and over today. Like precious faith that you've obtained. 
that God has given you. Even though they're established in what they know. He says, even though you, you, you are established in the present truth, what you've gotten so far, you've established yourself in that. I want you to go further. There's always further to go. Be established in what you know and keep going. Don't stop. Never stop in your relationship with God. As long as we're in our tents. I just started thinking about them as tents. We'd be a lot less worried about what they are, right? Because like, at the end of the day, you ever drive by and you're like, that's a beautiful tent. But you're not like, oh, man, I wish I had a really nice tent. It's functional. It's, it, you know, you hope it doesn't leak, right? There, there are things that you want of your tent. <laughs> I don't want to know what you're thinking. Um, <laughs> and, and I didn't mean it that way. But it's just a tent, right? We get so caught up in how, how does my tent look, right? Is it, is it better than the other tents? And Paul describes us as having treasure in jars of clay, right? We're so concerned about our jar. How's my jar look, right? We want to bedazzle our jars, make them nicer than all the other ones. God says, I want to break them and let my light shine out from your jar. As long as we're in our tents, in our bodies, our temporary dwelling places, we should seek reminder and to remind others. We should seek reminder and to remind others as long as we're in this tent. Peter says, Jesus told me I don't have much longer. And I want you to always have a reminder after I'm gone. So, you know, you could say he's remembering the words that Jesus said to him, right? Um, People, uh, you're going to be led where you don't want to go. And he's talking about his death, but that was 30 years ago. I'm pretty confident that Jesus had told him much more recently, Peter, the end is coming soon. This is what the Lord has given us in the last words of our brother Peter. This one to whom we can so relate, right? We all look at Peter and like, yep, mm -hmm, okay, that's me. We can relate to him in flagrant, soul-crushing, discouraging mistakes and in occasionally getting it. Peter wrote his first letter between 60 and 65 AD. And the latest date assumed by most is that this letter is written by 68 AD. So with a, within a span of eight years, he writes both of these letters. 68 AD coincides with the end of Nero's reign. And it is uh, the evidence points to Peter being killed at his order during his reign. So within eight years of his first letter, he writes his second. If he wrote any others, they're lost to history. We don't, we don't know anything about them. What <laughs> attention later, and I think we would do ourselves a great favor to pay close attention to what Peter is saying to us. This man who we've we seen his life on display in so many ways throughout the Gospels. What does he have to say to us? What is he trying to communicate to us as he knows he's going? And he says, I want to remind you of these things. 
I always want to leave a reminder for you, breadcrumbs to follow, right? Things for you to understand, things for you to grasp, things for you to get. So, you know, what books of the Bible shouldn't we pay close attention to, right? That's a short list, the list of null. But there's something about this that has really caught my attention, and I know. Every time I get up and we start a new book, I say, this is my new favorite book of the Bible. Peter, Peter's got a place in all of our hearts. And this is what he's giving us at the end. Grab on to what he's giving us here. So I would encourage you to read it, reread it, then read it again and again. Three chapters. You can do it over and over again. Verse 1, Simon Peter, verse 1, chapter 1, uh, 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's gone further here than he goes in his first letter. In his first letter, he says, this is, this is the audience that I'm speaking to, the dispersed in Galatia, Pontus, etc., Bithynia. Um, and here he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Every time you think about your faith, I want you to think, I've got like precious faith. Not something that, oh, I have faith. You have like precious faith to the apostle and bondservant Peter. And we've obtained that. Those who have obtained that. He refers to himself as Peter, an apostle in 1 Peter 1. Here, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle. In both cases, and this is the most important part, in both cases, who is he these things of? Jesus Christ. Our connection to him is more important than anything else. Our connection to him brands us, should brand us. And we choose to be branded in multi-other ways. Always remember who your connection is to. Does Christ define you? Is he your master? Is he your owner? You might bristle at that. Common cultures, don't talk about that. We should about God. And we should want that. Is everything that you have as a result of him, are you defined or are you defined, mastered, owned by others, by yourself and your own desires? (laughs) I see a look down and a shaking head. Amen, sister, repent. We all need to. Who are we defined by? Who owns us? Who are we mastered by? Is it our own selfish desires? Uh, Bondservant refers to one who's in permanence out of, right? Uh, Oh, I'm going to serve Jesus today, and then tomorrow I'm going to do some other stuff. Now, that's functionally what happens. But Peter says, no, I'm a bondservant. I'm a bondservant, and I know Rick's been over this before, but I'm, I'm sure some here haven't heard it, and we all need to be reminded. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15.
previous portion of Deuteronomy 15 talks about debts being canceled after seven years, this practice that was supposed to go on in the, in the community of the Israelites, things that happened every seven years, things that happened every seven days, things that happened over periods of multiples of seven years, and this is one of them, these, these, these debts being canceled or servants that had sold themselves to you being set free. And it says, starting in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 15, If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. When you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. You shall remember, be reminded, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he, because he loves you and your house, since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant you shall do likewise. And he goes back to the one, to the one that is leaving. He says, it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you. The one that you said, I'm going to give from my flocks. I'm going to give from my threshing floor. I'm going to give of my wine press, for he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years, then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. But I want to focus on the bondservant here. If it happens, he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. Put his ear up against the door, take an awl, and nail him to your door. And he's part of you. He is part of your house forever. He doesn't stay there with his ear to the door. You take it out, and you actually put a ring in his ear. And he says, I'm going to stay with you forever. Have you said to Jesus, I will not go away from you? I will not go away from you. I love your house. I love you. I will cling to you forever. I will be your servant forever. This is a bond servant. I, w- I don't want to go anywhere else. You can take the freedom Jesus has given you and walk away. And you see instances of that in the, in the Bible, right? There was 10 lepers healed, nine of them took off. One came back and thanked him. You see people begging Jesus, can I go with you? Can I stay with you? And he says, no, go tell others about me. There's people in every category. Peter never forgot what he said to Jesus that was recorded in the Gospel of John in chapter 6. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ the Son of the living God. 
You who have believed in Jesus have obtained, as it says in verse 1, like precious faith. Like precious faith. The same Peter received, and I would encourage you not to take your freedom and walk away. When we get down to verses 5 through 7, we're going to talk about the opposite of what that looks like. He says, uh, and he mentions what the source is of this precious faith, this like precious faith that we have, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the source, not your righteousness, his righteousness, not yours. Verses 2 through 4, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Grace and peace multiplied to you. Where does that come from? What's the source? Knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the source. This is where all of these things come from. Is that where you seek of peace? What is your source of grace? Is it other people? Is it situations going well? Or is it knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord? And he's going to talk about this multiple times. Knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that the source of your grace and peace? He says you lack nothing for life and godliness. You lack nothing for life and godliness. Regardless of what your list says... That you lack, you lack nothing for life and godliness. Do you believe it? Do you believe you lack nothing for life and godliness? Peter's pouring his heart out here. I'm going away. And you guys need to remember what you've got. You lack nothing for life and godliness. Stop chasing so many things, focus on knowledge of God knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's where these things come from. Where does that come from? What is the source? Same place as grace and peace through the knowledge of him. It all goes back to the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, going in the knowledge of him. You're partakers of the divine nature by what? Where does that come from? His exceedingly great and precious promises. Not your great and precious promises. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be this. His great and precious promises is exceedingly. I love that word. I need both hands for it. Exceedingly great and precious promises. Not just, hey, you know, I think I might do this for you. Jameson was very upset yesterday about uh, something we were going to do and then we couldn't do. And good, big discussion, and I told him, 
what I do when I'm disappointed um, and can't work through it because he was not able to work through it, and it helped him. I'm like, great, thank you, God, for letting me you know, pass that on. And I said, we'll go do something special. That's a little promise. That's not an exceedingly great promise, except to him. Right? Are the promises of your father exceedingly great to you? That, like precious faith, is it childlike? Has it stayed childlike for you? The promise is to go to Gavin Park and fly a kite. It means a lot to him. I'm like, ah, I got to go to Target and get a new kite now. I don't know if they're using the fields. (laughs) Thank God he's not like me. Not Jameson, God. Thank God he's not like me. So that's a new study topic for you, his great and precious promises. But I'm going to give you some direction on this one. Make sure you note who the promise is to. Don't just Google God's promises and go, that one's mine, and that one's mine, and that one's mine, and that one's mine, and this is mine, and this applies to me, and this applies to our country, and all of that. Who is the promise to? What is the situation? How does it apply to you? Is it direct to you? Or do we learn something from it as a promise to Israel that shows God's faithfulness? Is it a promise of wrath? There's promises of that too that we can also learn from. All of God's promises are exceedingly great and precious. Seek to know him, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, When Does anybody else remember the 430 movie? Like it was a weekly thing. It was on Thursdays or Friday, the 430 movie. And so they play every year, at least once, they play The Great Escape. Who remembers The Great Escape? Steve McQueen and a whole bunch of other guys. Cooler King. Steve McQueen, right? Riding his motorcycle. Well, whatever, okay. I love The Great Escape, and that was like a five-day-long movie. Um, and uh, so Paul, uh, Paul, Peter, who are we talking about today? Peter says this line here, having escaped the corruption in the world through lust. We are part of the greatest escape Ever. You are part of the greatest escape ever, those of you that have obtained like precious faith. Desire, the, the, the word for lust, epithemia, evil desires, longing, coveting, craving, these are things that bring corruption. And they take hold of us, and we march off in pursuit of them, right? We march off in pursuit of them in our minds by fantasizing and being preoccupied by them. We march off in our actions by what we give our time and our effort to, and we are off in the opposite direction of God, off and running. 
those of you that have ever chased a dog know what that feels like, right? Come here. Come here. Come on. He's off. There is something that he has found that is more interesting than you. We're more like him than we are like God in some senses. God's made us, in this case, in our lust and what we trot off of. We go off in the opposite direction of God and we're off balance and our relationships are off and our lives are off. God says, you have escaped this. You have escaped this. Well, why isn't my life perfect then? Why do I get hurt and why do I hurt other people? Why does this keep happening, right? <clears throat> will all of you experience and give into it in your lives that we will have desire, covetousness, craving, longing? Yes. But you've escaped the corruption. You have escaped the corruption. You've escaped becoming useless and hopeless. When something's corrupt, it's not useful anymore. All it does is corrupt more things. All it does is destroy more things. God says, that's not your lot in life. Even though you would do things that would cause corruption, I have saved you from that. So you don't continue to do that. And I've saved you eternally. And I'll give you a whole new body that can never be corrupted again. We're safe. God says it's not true of you. That's, all, that's not all you're good for anymore. It's causing corruption. You have great worth to bring to the world. I look at these things that are true of me, and I ask myself, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? Why do I think it would be a great thing to win the lottery? Why do I think it would be the most wonderful thing in the world to achieve my ideal weight? Why am I focused on stupid things? My greatest other desires are nothing. Dross, filthy rags, all loss, as Paul writes to the church at Philippi, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. All this happening through our knowledge of Christ, reminded like precious faith over and over. Uh, Verses 5 through 9, I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to reread that. But he starts it with, but also for this very reason. And I read the first four verses 10 times, and I could not connect over and over again. I couldn't find one statement from the first four verses he had previously written as the, this reason. Which one is it? Is it because you've obtained like precious faith to Peter? Is it because you're a bondservant of Jesus and have recognized there's no better place for you? Is it because grace and peace are multiplied to you? Is it because of knowledge of him? Is it because you've been called by his glory and virtue, his goodness? Is it because he's given you exceedingly great and precious promises? Is it because you're partakers of the divine nature? 
Is it because you've escaped the corruption in the world through lust? Yes, 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 and yes. Eight times. That's eight things in the first four verses of this letter that Peter wrote. Eight things that you have, eight things that are true of you, each of which on their own should compel us to give all diligence to adding these attributes to our faith. For this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Faith, always first. And what does faith say? I will do what you say, whether I get the results I expect or not. I will do what you say, whether I feel good about it or not. I will do what you say, whether I understand it or not. I am certain of what I hope for, and I'm sure of what I haven't seen. That's faith. That's what we're adding to. It all starts with faith, though. Faith that these, those eight things are true about you to begin with. Faith that you should pursue the knowledge of God. Faith that he gave you faith. It wasn't on your own. It says obtained, but it wasn't like, man, I really worked hard for that faith. You will over time, and that's okay. That will seem good to you because you will say, I love my master. And I love his house, and he's profited me greatly. Where else would I go beside him? So these attributes, I learned a new word, enjoined, E-N-J-O-I-N-E-D. Lisa, did you know that one? Do you know enjoined? Uh, Yeah, well, I didn't surprise her this time, so good. Enjoined, urged, prescribed, instructed as actions to take. These attributes are enjoined as essential qualities in the exercise of faith. And I thought it good to define these because I think that will help us. It certainly helped me as I went through this. So for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, often translated as goodness. Virtue, arete, and I have no idea whether that's correct pronunciation in the Greek or not. But this is the word both in verse 3 of God, uh, when he says we were called by his glory and goodness, and in verse 5, for us to add. And it is whatever procures preeminent estimation, excellencies. Add to your faith whatever procures preeminent estimation. What is the top of the top of the top of the top? That's what I want. That's what I want to add. That's what I want to think about. That's what I want my mind to be about. That's what I want to pursue. Not all the things that would proceed after that. That's where I want to go, and that's God's thoughts towards us. To your virtue, knowledge, gnosis, seeking to know and inquiry, especially of spiritual truth. Add to your goodness, your desire to reach for the best of the best, the desire for spiritual truth. Knowledge, knowledge again goes back. What do we, what do we have precious faith by? The righteousness of God. What do we have grace and peace by? The knowledge of God. 
Or do we have divine power given to us for life and godliness, the knowledge of him? Knowledge is very important for us. Self-control, enkratia, uh, comes from en, be in, in, inside, at, or among, or by means of. And Kratos, power, means of power, strength, or might. By means of power, strength, or might. At its true heart, it's us tapping into the power, might, and strength that God has given us, not relying on our own. We think of self-control and we automatically think, that's me white-knuckling it. That's me saying no to the third slice of cake that's been offered to me. And it's tapping into the power that God has offered you, not just you white-knuckling it, not just you deciding, I'm not going to be that way. God says, he says to us, resist the devil, as Peter wrote in his first letter, but not by us just saying, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. Any of you that have gone through that process, you get to the point where you do it. I'm like, how many times do I have to say I'm not going to do it to not do it? You don't need to keep saying I'm not going to do it. You need to say, God, I want to do this, but I know it's wrong. Give it to you. I need to tell you what I want, and I need you to flood me with your power to not do this thing. Power, might, and strength of God working in us, exercising it through faith to access that which is from God. Perseverance, hippomone, endurance, patience, continuing, enduring, waiting. How often do we show perseverance in things that are not good at all for us? We have great perseverance for some really dumb things, right? I'm going to keep at it. Perseverance in the things of God. Godliness. Eusebia, Sebomai, to be devout. Godliness is well devotion, committed to doing that which is pleasing to him. Well devotion. It's not, I'm going to be better than everybody else. I'm so godly. I float, you know, just three inches off the ground. I'm a little bit higher. I know a little bit more. It's being devoted to God. It's well devotion, committing to doing that which is pleasing to him. Not, not then, there, looking down on everybody else and saying, I wish you were more like me. My life would be easier if you were. Committed to well devotion of God. Brotherly kindness. Philadelphia. We all know that one. Love of the brethren. Love of the brethren. When Paul writes about false brethren in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, his letter to the churches in, and in his letter to the churches in Galatia, sorry. So he writes both to the church in Corinth and uh, to the churches in Galatia. He uses the term pseudadelphus, and that's false brothers. Philadelphia is love of the brethren, 
Pseudadelphus' false brothers, pseudo, right? We know that term. They're pseudo brothers. They're not real. They're false brethren. <clears throat> They're people that don't love the brethren. I think love of the brethren is a much better way for me to wrap my mind around the concept of brotherly kindness. Because when I think of brotherly kindness, I think, like, that's me giving you a stick of gum, right? I'm going to show you some kindness. Your breath's not great. Have a stick of gum. There's something in your teeth. Like, that's brotherly kindness, right? That's me being nice to you. Brotherly kindness. Love of the brethren puts things in a different category than niceness. Doesn't it? Love of the brethren. Brotherly kindness, I pat you on the head. Not you, I mess up your hair. But it's different. Love of the brethren is completely different than being nice to one another. These aren't just some people you see on Sunday. These are people for for whom you care and have concern. That you're interested in, that you care for as yourself because you are one body. Love of the brethren. You search them out. You don't just wait for them to come to you. And finally, love, agape, here toward all men, not just the brethren. These are the things that we are to add to our faith. These are the things that we are to grow in. And then he says, If these things are yours and abound, if you possess them in increasing measure, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big statement. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here again, what does he talk about? Knowledge. Knowledge of God. But now we see that that knowledge can be empty as well. And the way you're going to keep it from being empty is adding, is being reminded, is being sure of what you believe and certain of what you hope for. It can be barren Nonetheless, having knowledge of God, just head knowledge, with no action put to it, without devotion to the master and unfruitful, will we put our ears to the door and say, God, I'm yours? Is that what we're searching for? Is that what we want? I have no idea how I'm doing on time. I can see the clock, but I don't know where I started. Are we all right on time? Are we getting long? Are we all right on time? Are we getting a little long? All right. Fantastic. Yeah, I do. I do want you to tell me because, and and I'll and I'll tell you guys why. Because I was, I, I've been so impressed by these things that Peter's trying to communicate to us. So utterly impressed about what he's trying to communicate to us that I, I get lost in them. I want to just keep talking about them. They just keep building on each other. And they're for us from our brother who's saying, I have been with Jesus, 
and I want you to know how to live, and I don't want you to forget. I can finish here and leave the next for you. Oh, he says a little more, un poquito. Okay, here we go. So here again, uh, he talks about knowledge of God, and he says that it can be empty. Uh, And, you know, God has taken, and then he calls us to do stuff as well with all diligence, to give our hearts completely to it. So I was saying it all depends on God, his righteousness, his glory, his virtue, his promises. Now it seems like it depends on you. Get your story straight, preacher, right? Which one is it? Well, yes, it's both. He has transported you, redeemed you to a position where all of this is possible. He has taken you and put you in a place where you can, where you start with like precious faith that you obtained from him, that he gave to you. The more we focused on what God has done for us as opposed to what we have to do, the easier it will be to add these things. The more excited we will be about adding these things as opposed to saying, Oh, what do I have to do for God? What do I have to do for God? I love you. I love your house. That is love of the brethren. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to serve you forever. So what is so difficult? Right? Now, I'm asking myself, too. This is not like, you know, if you would just get it, we'd all be okay. What is so difficult about adding goodness to my faith and knowledge and self-control and love of the brethren? We, we, <sighs> so let's talk about barrenness and unfruitfulness for a minute. There are Christians that look at their lives and say, I can't point to a single person I've led to Christ. I must be unfruitful. I'm barren. I can't name the person. Or I did tree, right? Because only bad trees produce bad fruit. If I were a good tree, we're going to talk about trees. You're just a branch. You're part of God, and he does not produce bad fruit. So... Let's get off on that, get off of that. They have great discouragement in their lives because they're, and it becomes, you become envious of others. Oh, if I could only be as fruitful as so and so. So then we add sin to the discouragement, right? Sin of envy to it. And it's just a downward spiral. This is a big deal in the church that we came from personal fruitfulness, right? It was a sign of true discipleship. I seem to remember Jesus saying our love for one another would be a sign of true discipleship. Should we be telling people about Jesus? Should we be interested in them being saved from eternal damnation? Should we want them to have all eight things that are in the first four verses of this chapter? Absolutely. Absolutely, we should. The definition of personal fruitfulness in that church was a moving target. 
You know, was it enough if I invited them to church and then they be they accepted Christ? Was it uh, did I if I studied the Bible with them, was I personally fruitful then? If I baptized them, was I personally fruitful? This is like football; I can get a half a sack, you know, or an assist on a tackle, a half a tackle, or a point for an assist in hockey. Is it like that? We can look at this list and say, now I have the formula for personal fruitfulness. Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to do all of these things. And if I add them in increasing measure, and then we start to wonder, well, how much? How much do I have to add? How much goodness do I need? How much of the other attributes do I need? What's increasing measure? Does it, does it have to grow by 100% per year? Is 30% okay? Do all this stupid stuff in our minds. But God says, I just want you to serve me. I want you to be confident that I love you, and I'm going to bring about the results that I'll bring about. What I need you to do, Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, nothing can grow. God says, I need you to choose to die to yourself. That's what I need you to do. I need you to allow me to take over. I need you to allow me to become. God, I want offspring. I don't want to be barren. I want to be fruitful. Exercise the like precious faith you've obtained. What else happens? You maintain your sight in your memory. He says, if you lack these things, you're short-sighted and blind and I've forgotten you've been cleansed from your past sin. Ugh. Who wants you that way? Satan. Blind. He says, you're short-sighted to blindness. You're on your way. It's going to get so bad if you continue on that path, you will be blind and forgotten that you've been cleansed of past sin. So close your eyes. Here's the preacher manipulating you, mind control. I want you to think about the worst thing or things you've ever done. Jesus has taken all of that away. He's removed the eternal impact of that. It's gone. And we need to remember it. We need to remember it. And adding these things will help us. If you still got your eyes closed, you can open them. You can, you can keep them shut if you want to. Um, if you don't, if you've not obtained like precious faith, guess what? Those worst things that you've done, he wants to take them away. He wants to remove all that from your life about that today. Jesus taught that he who has been forgiven little, the same loves little. What do you think happens to your love when you forget you've been forgiven of your sins? when you stop recognizing the depth of what he's done for you.
All right. Quickly. Verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance with, will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be even more diligent. We've got multiple cases of knowing God. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. It's not God that's unsure of it. God's not going, I'm not sure I did the right thing in choosing you. He's not unsure at all. It's us. We're the ones at risk of being unsure. And we do get unsure, right? It's we who are in danger. It's we who need reminders. It's we who are in danger of stumbling. And he says, an entrance will be supplied to you abundant Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a weird sentence. Here's what I think that it means. That your view, your anticipation, the importance of this in your life, the importance of what entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that'll all grow and grow and grow as you are diligent in adding these things. God has given us so, so much. If it was just the love of our mothers, it would be a lot, wouldn't it? But he's given us so far beyond that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of our brother Peter, and we thank you for the passion that he had in wanting to remind us of these things. He's going to talk about how you're not slow in your promises. He's going to talk about holding on to these things like a light in a dark place. And whether you come this afternoon or it's thousands of years from now, I don't know. But I know that I am found in you like precious faith, reminded of, and are true. Would you help us, God, to be the ones that want nothing more than to serve you? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.